Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello from San Francisco and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. Chinese and U.S. presidents are to meet in this city this week on the sideline of the 30th APEC Economic Leaders Meeting. Leading up to it, I did a series of interviews with political and economic leaders, as well as representatives of regional and international organizations for their expectations of this meeting. Rebecca Fatima Stamaria is the executive director of APEC Secretariat. She was talking to me from the site of the APEC Economic Leaders Meeting in San Francisco. She told me what this meeting could mean for the APEC community. The 30th APEC Economic Leaders Meeting this year features the theme, Creating a Resilient and Sustainable Future for All. Madam Executive Director, I still remember very clearly our talk in Thailand, and now we are already in San Francisco. Time has passed so fast, right? There are going to be a lot of important bilateral meetings during the time of the APEC Economic Leaders Meeting. One of them is the meeting between Chinese and American presidents. Now, the world is watching. As the executive director of APEC, you invited both of them onto the platform. So what is your hope about this meeting? We all look forward to the leaders coming together. When it's such a challenging time, so many, uh, so much noise around the work that we do, having the leaders meet reaffirms what we've been saying all along, you know, that we are committed to build uh, stronger bonds among our, our communities, our, our economies, seeing how we can work together to, to tackle all those really tough challenges because we are all part of the global economy. You know, so none of us can go it alone, right? So having two very important economies meet when there's a lot of noise around re-globalization, de-globalization, you know, uh, trade protectionism, you know, what is the benefits of glo- people questioning globalization? When you have these two major economies coming together at the highest level to meet and have very important discussions, it augurs well for, for the rest of us. We are watching, everybody's watching, and to see how all the, the rhetoric around the trade tensions and all that can be dissipated because of meetings, you know, meetings of leaders. So we are very hopeful and we're very more than elated, you know, to have the leaders come together. Not just, not just the, the two big, bigger economies, but also the others, because, you know, we all are part of the global economy. So having that relationship among ourselves is so important. And we are so proud that APEC provides that forum for these kind of meetings to happen. There's likely to be tremendous uncertainties politically next year. And you know this so well uh, with great understanding of the, your, the economies that you're working with. So this could be a window opportunity, you see? Absolutely. You know, the, the fact that the, the two important biggest economies are here to have the very important conversation, a crucial conversation at this time, really opens the door to other opportunities for the world. It, it adds a, 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 a strong note of optimism as the year comes to a close and we start the, another year. You know, so, so it gives a lot of push to us and to all of the, the folks at the working level to be encouraged. This, this is really encouraging, right? To say, oh, all the work that we did really you know, matter. It's, it's coming to fruition. 
to bring the, the two parties together, we have that platform, you know, for the bilateral meetings. I always say that, yes, we're bringing parties together in, in a room, 21 economies. That's important. But the bilateral discussions, the sideline discussions are equally important. And they add and they build, you know, to what happens in the room at the end of the day. If you are providing advice or suggestions to these two leaders and their great teams, what do you think should be on the top of the agenda? It's so easy to look at what divides us. It's more important to look at what unites us, what brings us together, what brings benefits to us. And to not look at the narrow perspective, but look at the broader perspective, the more holistic benefits that we, we bring you know, to uh, the opportunity that we have to bring to global growth. If we think that way, I think that's, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an optimist by nature. So that opportunity to really focus on what unites us, what would bring benefit to the global economy, not just to our, to our economies individually, but really how we contribute to the greater good. I think that that's, should be the, the focus of the conversation. There are a lot of concepts, as you know, uh, Madam Executive Director, throwing around uh, the zero-sum game, uh, yes. decoupling, yeah. uh, de-risking, uh, and the list goes on. So how do you see the nature of these concepts? I'm not saying they're all the same. Yeah. Uh, of course, there are differences. But how do you see these kind of concepts being thrown around? How much can we rely on the interpretation of these concepts or rely on the real interactions face-to-face -to, -face mm -hmm. to bring real ideas into any concept that might come out of it. You know, the work that is being done in APEC, there's, there's work to, for example, streamline some of our processes. These, con this, this kind of work, the structural reform, regulatory reform, these are things that trans help to translate all those big ideas into what happens on the ground. And we have we have systems for, for that kind of engagement. For example, during COVID, one of the things that we were able to do, because we had our system in place, huh, one of the things that we, could, we were able to do very quickly was to get the customs authorities together, to bring them together to ensure the flow of goods. Looking again at, at regulation, making sure that you know, we, we streamline our regulations very quickly to move our essential medical products and, and essential goods. It may now sound uh, sexy, but this is really yeah. essential, yeah. The reason we were able to do that was because we had the system in place. And we already had that sort of mindset about working on reform. So we have a customs working group, for example. So we just activated it. We said, okay, now it's not business as usual. You don't have your meetings once a month or once, a, once in two months or whatever. Now you have to meet immediately to sort things out. And they did, and they met online and they sorted it out. It's because we already had the system. So just activate it. A lot of energy I can feel around this year, uh, particularly on the theme of creating sustainable and resilient future for all. What is your understanding of this specific topic? Uh, the, the topic really builds on all the work that we've been doing the last few years from the time we came up with the vision, the APEC Putrajaya Vision 2040, right through the Aotearoa Plan of Action to implement the vision, plus moving on last year where we narrowed the focus to the biocircular green economy model, 
And so the U.S. is just building on that. So, you know, the sustainable and resilient future for all is something that resonates with all of us, is really the core of the work that we are doing. You know, what, what is the work that we're doing really at the end of the day is to make sure that we have a really sustainable and resilient future for everybody in, in APEC and, and by extension the world, right? Yeah. There's a lot of content, in fact, one could interpret out of this theme. It can be about climate change, our response to that collectively. It can be about trade and economic development. It can be about the potential of cooperation among all the economies. So which area are you particularly looking into at this moment? So I think it is, if we're looking at it holistically, when we talk about sustainable and resilience, sustainability and resilience, rather, it's, it's really looking at it holistically. When you talk of sustainability, it's not just about the climate, it's also about being very inclusive. You know, it's about being uh, looking at the sustainability of businesses. So it's really a more holistic approach to it. And when you're talking of resilience, you're talking about business resilience, supply chain resilience, about us working together as a community, you know, so the different layers of to the to the concept of sustainability and resilience. But at the end of the day it's about how we all work together to ensure that we have this future that we set up for ourselves through the Putrajaya vision, you know? Yeah. I know it takes a lot of work to bring everybody on board on the same topic, on the same vision. So how was it like from last year until today for you as the executive director? It, there's so much happening and lots of challenges, not just the challenge of climate change. We've seen um, the, the disasters, the natural disasters, climate, extreme climate uh, events around the world. We've seen geopolitical challenges. It's, and this is when you know, I, it really matters that we come together because no one economy can deal with these challenges by themselves. You know, we've seen it through COVID. None of us could manage COVID by ourselves. We needed to come together. And we will see this more and more as we face global challenges. It is so important that we come together. And I think, um, for me, APEC provides the ideal platform for, for us to be, uh, you know, to work together. When you consider the membership of APEC, we have got this diverse group of economies. We've got um, the major players in the global economy. We've got um, the middle powers also in, the, in, 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 the, in APEC. So all of us have that possibility of working together, looking not just from our own perspective, our, our, our domestic interests, but also our collective interests. And I think that's, that's what we set up for ourselves when we came up with the Aotearoa Plan of Action. The, at, you know, the vision, then you have the, the plan of action, right? And in that plan of action, we talk about individual and collective actions. So, you know, so you have to find that balance um, so that we all benefit. At the end of the day, it's sustainability, resilience for all of us, right? So, so that, that keeps coming back to all of us as we, as we plan our work, the different work streams uh, in APEC focus on, on these two, two core themes, right? Because we have seen some of the other international or plurilateral uh, platforms running into somewhat deadlocks over the past few years, but APEC is still very vibrant and you see the uh, participants of uh, this year's economic uh, leaders meeting. 
Absolutely, everybody's here. So,、yep. what are some of these tools in your toolbox? <laughs> Working with your colleagues from APEC economies to make this possible. You want to see economic growth. You want to see inclusive growth. We are all on the same path. We all have the same goal, the same direction. So it it just makes sense that we all work towards those goals. I mean, it's easier said than done. It's really putting in effort. And I must say that the different working groups that contribute to the final. A leaders meeting because it, the leaders meeting doesn't just happen overnight, right?、No. You've got a series of work across the year, the different working groups working very hard. So all levels of government are working hard. That's one. Two, you've got the business community contributing. You know, the APEC Business Advisory Council contributing. You've got engagements. The, we have these policy dialogue sessions. Through all these、um, engagements, you get feedback. From your stakeholders, right, and that helps to build on our agenda for the year, you know. And so it culminates in the leaders' meeting, but really there's a lot of work that everybody is doing at the different working levels, you know, at the different engagement levels. It, it comes to that at the end of the day. And how do you see the role of the Chinese economy and the role of China among APEC members? You know, China is a major、uh, trading partner for all all of us. In APEC, in ASEAN, you know, so it is important that, and because we are so integrated through all our trade agreements, we are so integrated that we have to support each other, and therefore, the growth in one economy will be the rising tide for another. You know, we've we've seen this happening, where because our supply chains, value chains are so integrated, whatever happens to China or to Malaysia or to Singapore would impact the whole chain, right? So it's about us. Building on that、um, business relationships, ensuring that business continues to flow among ourselves. Thank you so much, Madam Executive Director. Thank you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. That's the Executive Director of APEC. Coming up, my conversation with Roberto Azevedo, former Director General of the World Trade Organization. After he left the WTO, he served also as Chief Corporate Affairs Officer of PepsiCo and Chairman of the Foundation. His thoughts on the upcoming meeting between Chinese and U.S. presidents. Beyond the Beyond the headlines, this is World Insight. Welcome back. This is World Insight with me, Tianwei. This week, we're broadcasting from the city of San Francisco, the site of the 30th APEC Economic Leaders Meeting. With multiple challenges like geopolitics, rising protectionism, and climate change, policymakers and businesses are increasingly wary of the future of the global trading system. I had a talk with Roberto Azevedo, former Director General of the WTO, who shared his insights on how to respond to modern challenges and expectations for the 30th APEC Economic Leaders Meeting, as well as his thoughts on the upcoming meeting between the U.S. and Chinese presidents. Mr. Hazarvedo, what a pleasure to see you once again. Does the global trading system still have a hope? Yes, absolutely.、Uh, I don't think the world can move on without it.、Mm, as simple as that. Yeah, I, I don't think it can. I mean, the the scenario, the alternative, is awful. It's、uh, basically a scenario of unilateralism, and people usually, when they're talking about negotiations and conversations among countries, they're talking about win-win scenarios or win-lose scenarios. 
But there is a third scenario, uh, which uh, when you see unilateralism thriving, which is the lose-lose scenario. So the fact that the other side is losing doesn't mean that you're winning. You may be losing as well. And unilateralism tends to go in that direction where, bo- where, they, where everybody loses. Yeah. So WTO has to work because Absolutely. we cannot live in a lose-lose world. Absolutely. Absolutely. But for the WTO to work, uh, we need to be more creative than ever. What do you mean? Well, the, world, the geopolitical tensions in the world have increased quite significantly when I left the WTO about, what, three years ago. That was already very high. It has not improved. Uh, in fact, you know, you would expect that with um, elections in different places that uh, geopolitical tensions would diminish, and so, but they didn't. They didn't. They're still there. They are proliferating, in fact, and that is not good. And I think in an environment such as that, um, having a forum where you can have conversations or where you can have, where you can begin to build confidence again, it's extremely important. But it's not going to happen overnight and it will take baby steps. What are the baby steps? Because we're already looking at MC13 coming up, ministerial meeting among all the uh, trade ministers uh, at the WTO in coming February. I think MC13 could be a, one of those small steps towards something bigger. What it needs to achieve? For example, think? the world has changed significantly in many ways. One issue that is now at the top of mind in all public policy environments in different countries is climate change. So how is this likely to happen with the climate discussion leading up to MC13? That's, that's precisely the point. I think, for example, we cannot escape this scenario. We cannot escape this reality. So the first thing I think we need to do is begin to talk about it. Is this something that is going to solve by itself? I don't think so. Because those uh, policies are going to induce policies in other countries in response. And they are all going to be taken unilaterally without any kind of coordination. But some people would say, oh, oh, what is your suggestion? Talk again? I mean, you guys have been talking for decades. You haven't reached any solutions. But that's how it starts. But that's how it starts. We had, for example, the Trade Facilitation Agreement, which was the first truly multilateral agreement that the WTO concluded. It was in the first year of my mandate, actually, which I'm very proud of. It had been, gone for dec- for, had been going on for decades, right? But all of a sudden, it clicked. Why? Small victories. You know, a conversation here or there, a small agreement on, with some parties that something was possible. All of a sudden, those little steps, those little things began to make people believe that it was possible. The moment that people believe it is possible, gonna work for oh, it. things change. Yeah, yeah. Things change because instead of uh, you know entrenching your position and, and being maximalistic about what you want and everything, you begin to think differently. You begin to think, what can I do here to help this go in forward in a way that, that I want, yeah. you know, in a way where I win as well. And then the, 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 the way that you engage with the others change completely. And it's all due to small victories. And then those things, it's like a snowball. It gains momentum. It gains momentum. At the end, uh, in Bali, the momentum was so strong that a few countries who were not ready to go along 
all of a sudden felt, okay, I have to do it. I I have to do it. I have to do it. Plurinational agreements. What are likely to be their functions? Yeah, they are rarely going to be the end game, right? Because you don't have everyone. You have some. In some of the plurilateral negotiations that we have at the WTO today, you don't have all members, but you have 90% of the global economy there, right? So that means a big chunk of the global economy is part of that understanding, but 10% is not. Now, that is very important because even though it's not perfect in the sense that it doesn't cover everyone, it's not fully multilateral, etc., it is the seed of something that could become multilateral with some changes, some, some adjustments and things like that. You could make it perfectly multilateral. What about the middle-sized economies? We see discussions about their roles increasing. Uh, for example, many of them are for multilateralism. They believe their ultimate interest is in the success of a global trading system. So how do you see their roles? Sometimes they're grouping together. It's, it's fundamental that we have many players and players who are constructive. Because in negotiations, and I'm, um, I'm actually writing a book about that. All right, then. Yeah. Let me have a preview. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I will, I will, I will. But, uh, you know, in negotiations, especially when you have many parties, sometimes a proposal uh, that comes at the wrong moment or that comes from the wrong party kills the process. Some, I, uh, when I was facilitating, when I was the director general, for example, sometimes one party would come to me and say, what about this solution here for this problem? And I said, oh, that's great. Why didn't we think about that before? That's absolutely perfect. And they said, okay, so I'm going to present that. And I would say, no, you're not going to present anything. First, it's too early. Let's wait a little bit. Let people you know, sweat some more, let them bleed some more. The and right then, timing, very important. Yeah, the timing is very critical. And second, <laughs> it's not going to be you. Because if you propose this, the other side is going to immediately kill it. Yeah. So let's find somebody else. I can put the proposal as myself, as director general, or we'll find another party to put the proposal. The proposal is exactly the same, but it will not come contaminated by your fingerprints, yes, and that is very important. Mm. Uh, so those things have to be taken into account as well. So the, 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 the role of the middle countries, of the mid-sized countries, is very important in that sense because they can make proposals that others see as a positive contribution instead of a self-serving proposal. How is that that though we see some of the big powers in the world are moving to directions of closer interactions, mm-hmm. at least for now. For example, China, United States, with the upcoming APEC, uh, Mr. Azevedo, many are expecting more closer uh, communications from the two sides. What would that mean? Well, the reality is that uh, the world is being shaped, especially in the area of climate change, where the U.S. and China will have a big role to play, both of them, where the economic equation for any private sector agent, a company, say a company wants to invest on, on a plant to produce a product that is sustainable or something like that. Yeah. It, and I see that every day when I talk to companies and when I talk to investors, they don't know whether they should invest or not. Because it's not about the market necessarily, it's about the government action. Indeed. 
Is the government going to support me? Is the public policy that I want, that I need to make this happen, going to be in place? And in time, will the financing be available? Now, that kind of predictability is fundamental for the growth of the global economy. Because for, for investors, there are a few things that are essential. One of them is predictability. The other one is profitability, right? And if those things are not in place, they're not going to invest. They're going to hold back. If they don't invest, the economy doesn't grow. If the economy doesn't grow, jobs are not created. And vicious cycle. It's a, absolutely, absolutely. So it is very important that we have that kind of predictability. And it's only going to happen if governments talk to each other. That's Roberto Azevedo, former director general of WTO. His thoughts on the upcoming meeting between Chinese and U.S. presidents and the agenda of the 30s APEC economic leaders meeting. With that, we are coming to the end of today's program, broadcasting from San Francisco, from the site of the 30s APEC economic leaders meeting. I'm Tian Wei. I'll see you tomorrow.